0: Welcome, you're listening to Building the Backend, a podcast for data architects, where we will uncover what's working and what's not across the data landscape. I'm your host, Travis Lawrence. Join me on a journey to understand the best patterns, tools, and frameworks for implementing modern data architectures. Each week, I will interview data leaders and architects, like the Vice President of Engineering at LinkedIn, or the founder of Data Kitchen, and employees at Microsoft and Google and many other top companies. To start off the new year, I have put together a quick 60-second survey to help me better understand how I can best serve you. Go to buildingthebackend.com slash survey to complete it. And if you do, your next coffee is on me, aka I will email you a Starbucks gift card. If you're hearing this message, then the survey is still live, so act fast and help me improve the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. In today's episode, we will speak with Susan Walsh and learn why organizations struggle with creating and maintaining high quality and the steps she takes to resolve data issues. Susan has nearly a decade of experience fixing your data and founded the Classification Guru. Susan is a specialist in data classification and data cleansing. She is passionate about helping you find the value in cleaning your dirty data and raises awareness of the consequences of ignoring issues through her blog, webinars, and speaking engagements. Welcome, Susan.
1: Hi, thank you. Hello from the Data Den.
0: So let's jump into it. What does data quality mean to you?
1: So for me, it's about accuracy. And I've heard some people in organizations say that data quality to them is that the data is fit for purpose. For me, that's not good enough. Data will never be 100% accurate, but I need it to be as accurate as it possibly can be. There's no, I can't let things slip through the net.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's, it's all about the detail.
0: Absolutely. How do organizations know if they have poor quality data? What are some key indicators they can be on the lookout for?
1: Yeah, so I think most of them, it's a common knowledge that there's a problem, but they don't really want to admit it or look into it. The only reason that it suddenly becomes a really big issue is when something's gone wrong. So they've made a decision based on the wrong numbers or a report has generated and, and you can see the numbers don't look right. It gets to board level and something's wrong and then nobody knows why it's like that. So that 10, or we've over-ordered by three times by accident. Right. Those can, it's, it's normally, something normally associated with a cost is when they decide that they need to address the data issue.
0: Start paying attention. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you create this acronym, I really call it a COAT. Yes, that, And your data should always have its coat on. Yeah. Can you break down what does that stand for and why that's important?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's not even a year old yet. It was <laughs> born by accident for another podcast. Someone said to me, oh, you should really have an acronym or something. So I I thought about what data should be in order for it to work in an organization. And it doesn't matter what type of data it is. So firstly, I said that it has to be consistent. So Use the same standards and terminology. How are you using or defining units of measure? Is it litres, US spelling? Litres, European? Is it LTR? What Define what is a customer? What is a supplier? Because different things to different people. So make sure it's the same across the organisation. Specifically within procurement, I always say within classification, it's very subjective. There's more often more than one right answer. So it's about agreeing with your team what the classification should be. Now, it's much easier to change it if it's all the same and wrong rather than having half right and half wrong. So it's those kinds of things. And then it has to be organized. So you want to find something by country, by department, by division, by user, you need to categorise it. Or if you want to see how much you're spending on office supplies, you need to categorise it first because otherwise it's spread all over the place. Then it needs to be accurate. So for me that is 100%, but that could be for you fit for purpose. There's no point in, in using the data if it's not accurate. And when you have all those three things, you finally then have trustworthy data. So you know that you can make the right budgeting decisions, the right planning decisions, the right sales and marketing decisions, the right buying decisions. It could even affect and impact things like the future of the company. What direction do you want to take it in? When you've got your consistency, your organization and your accuracy, you can then start to trust that the decisions you make will be the right ones.
0: Yep, 100%. Can you provide a few examples from your experience where bad data has negatively impacted the end customer?
1: Um, Well, all my clients have been negatively impacted in some way by their data, whether they don't have visibility on what they need to be able to find in the information. So I had one client who had 850 individual spreadsheets, And I had to merge them all together. But because of the way they were formatted, you couldn't just like stick them all together. You had to build a template and pull them all in. So suddenly they had a repository of everything they needed in one place that they'd never had before. It saved them so much time. It wasn't really a cost thing. It was definitely a time and a regulatory thing as well. Mm -hmm. And Then another client on the cost side, they had hubs all around Germany and they all were creating their own SKU number for, say, a can of Coke. So instead of having one can of Coke and one SKU, you had one can of Coke and 500 SKUs. That meant that there was no visibility on what was going on within each of these hubs. So when Mm -hmm. I rationalized that and combined it all together they could suddenly start to see that actually some of these hubs were not buying from the contracted supplier they were buying from their friends down the road at twice the price saved them a lot of money another client they were getting their data spend data three months after the fact january's data would come in april now i've classified it showed them how to refresh it themselves they can now get that data at the end of february so they pretty much have as, as close to immediate insights as they possibly can it means they right. can start to do cost negotiations with their suppliers supplier rationalization they can check for spend that is going out that shouldn't be perhaps so there are so many different examples but yeah time and cost are the big ones
0: absolutely which think-
1: big problems
0: oh yeah Why do you think so many organizations struggle to get to that sort of centralized source of truth that clean data in the first place?
1: Because they don't value data. So I quite often say data is an investment. It's not a cost. They will happily spend millions or tens of millions on some new software, but they won't spend the 50, 100K to cleanse the data before they put it into the software. So it goes into the software and then the software doesn't work and everyone complains about it and nobody uses it because it doesn't work. And then it's the software's problem, but actually it's not, it's the data problem. You just didn't right. fix it first. So that would I would say that's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely agree. Who is ultimately responsible to ensure the high quality data and that it's clean?
1: So... I think that really you need different data owners for different departments because you're looking at it through different lens. Finance and procurement data is it's the same data, but they look at it with very different perspectives. If a finance person tries to look at procurement data, they'll say it's wrong, but actually it's right and vice versa. So you really need kind of owners within each function that maybe report into one overarching data person that is responsible for everything.
0: It's so almost having like a governance committee. Yeah, as...
1: I think there's so much that is bundled under the data banner, but actually right. there's so many different aspects to data. <laughs> to to some people, when I say I work in data, they're like, oh, can you fix my computer? And it's no, it's not that kind of data. So yeah, it's, it's open to interpretation.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What are some common blind spots the organizations face once they do start going on this journey to fix and clean? They're dirty data.
1: So it's it's things like, that can't be wrong. That can't be wrong. It is wrong. No, it is. Honestly, I promise it's wrong. Or, but we fixed it a year ago and so it should be right. Actually, if you've not maintained your data, then it's not going to be right because people can delete things by accident. They can overwrite things. Mm -hmm. They might have their own uh, opinion of what should be in that field. So... There are a number of different reasons, but if they're not in tune with their data and checking it on a regular basis, pretty detached from it. Yep. So it, it doesn't help the situation.
0: Are there particular data issues you come across that are more difficult to fix than others after that bad data has come through?
1: I think the the biggest problems are where you don't know where the source of the data has come from. If you can't trace it back to the source, then you can't really trust or rely that it's right. You don't know how to Someone or something has come to the decision that it's this. In fact, I was just having a conversation yesterday. A client said, we have one system and it's a feeder system for all these other systems, but we it doesn't pull everything through. It only pulls some of it through. And I said, you know, get the data from the original sources because you don't know what you're missing. And they're like, no, we just use this one. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Now having that black box definitely makes it a little unnerving. Yeah. You have to trust that. Yeah. And not only do you have to know where the source of truth is, but you got to have that context too. A big one that I run into is when you're dealing with timestamps across different source systems, what time zone is it in? A lot of times they can't tell you and you're trying to have one central one and agree upon that can be very difficult it's
1: yeah and and actually i work a lot with currencies as well yeah. now as the main kind of currency across the globe tends to be usd sometimes it's gbp or euros but yeah i think usd is the standard but yeah all those little things that weren't a problem before we were all digitally connected are suddenly like right big problems yeah and sometimes again you don't know the source of the data you don't know what the real date is
0: What are some of the most interesting, unexpected, or challenging lessons that you have learned while fixing dirty data?
1: So I guess there's always a surprise in there, something unexpected, whether it's at the very start when you're trying to merge all the files together and they just won't fit in neatly, or you get halfway into a project and then... The client doesn't really know what they want at the start but has a better idea halfway down the project. I'm like... Oh, we really wanted this information in there. And it's like, you don't have that information. So that happens. And then sometimes you get these really great projects that just run really smoothly and they don't happen very often. But I think the the, the best bit for me, it's not really a surprise or anything, but it's seeing the reaction from the client's face when you hand them back like a, a data set and, and they see suddenly all this stuff that they've never seen before. It's so rewarding.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like what makes successful engagements more successful than others is having that clear line, that clear lineage to the source of truth with context and access to all the data and kind of understanding and buy in and support from the business.
1: Communication. So regular meetings with clients. The thing that I always say is really important is don't just look at fixing the problem that you have right now, but think about what you want in the future as well. So if, if I'm classifying data, right at the moment, I can't give you much detail because it's not, there but if let's build a detailed taxonomy now so that in the future you could go to the level of like keyboard mouse at the moment we'll just do peripherals so yeah things like that
0: yep absolutely what are the top technologies you have seen to support improving data quality
1: so there are some great tools out there for things like databases. You can go and pick a number of tools that will cleanse and tell you what kind of format the column is in and you can tidy everything up wonderfully. But on the classification side, we're not there yet. I would say it's good old-fashioned elbow grease. I, I use some software called Omniscope. It's data visualisation and modelling. So I can actually edit the data while having the, the charts and tables at the top. so I can interrogate the data in a different way. So it's not quite automated, but it really helps to get a much better level of accuracy and efficiency when you're working with the data.
0: Sure. How is AI changing the data quality landscape or what do you predict (sighs) to come out of that?
1: So, again, there's certain areas where it's great. RPA, robotic process automation, you scanning invoices and contracts and things. Amazing. Saving so much time. Much more accurate than a human. On the data cleansing side, it helps, but you still need that human eye to go through and sweep up. And I think that will be here for a long time. In fact, I don't think it will ever necessarily disappear I think it will reduce in the amount of time that humans will be involved. And, of course, someone was saying just the other day, you know, if you've got printer in the description, is that printer hardware or is that printer a person mm-hmm. that's a profession? Yeah, it takes a lot to train the AI and we're just not quite there yet.
0: And to train the AI, you have to create the business rules in the first place, a.k.a. have eyes on the data. So there is no exactly. way of digging around yeah. that manual process of, You just got to do that grunt work. And once you sort of clean up that dirty data, then put in the processes to keep that from happening in the future.
1: Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out.
0: Exactly. Is there a favorite data book that you would recommend and why?
1: So, you know what, this is an absolutely shocking confession, but I don't read books. And ironically, I'm currently writing a data book as well. So I have not read data books apart from actually one. Um, Scott Taylor is yep. has written a book, Telling Your Data Stories. So that is, I'm going to make the effort to read that one. He's a good buddy of mine. But uh, yeah, I'm terrible. I, I like to watch and learn things rather than read mm-hmm. books. For me, it doesn't go in. When I read yeah. a book, there are, apart from data cleansing. Try and find yeah. a good book on data cleansing. I challenge you. <laughs> um, so until mine comes out.
0: I have not read one. Yeah,
1: it's the bit that's forgotten because it's seen as the lesser. Oh, anyone can do that bit. And actually, you know what? Actually, it's highly skilled. And, and
0: there's and a lot of books on governance. But they mm. don't get into sort of the details of, okay, you acknowledge there's data quality issues. How do you fix it And more practical steps.
1: But what's really fascinating is that actually by cleansing the data, you can build your governance structure because the data will tell you where you're going wrong with the inputting of the data. What columns have the least populated information? Make sure we've got that in the governance plan to make sure they put it in. So yeah, it needs to be a bit more focused on it.
0: Absolutely. So where can our listeners connect with you online and to learn more about Classification Guru?
1: So LinkedIn is, is the place I hang out the most. If you would like some resources and some videos, then I have the Classification Guru YouTube channel. I've also got my website as well, theclassificationguru.com. But yeah, come find me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to answer any questions you might have.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Susan, so much for being a part of the show. I know I got a lot of great insights from this discussion. And I hope our Thanks so much for you. having me. Thanks for listening to Building the Backend. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. If you want to receive the latest data news in your inbox, join the newsletter at buildingthebackend.com. See you next time, Data Nation.